Welcome to the Placebo Magic Podcast, the podcast about imaginative self-care for skeptics. I'm your host, Durmak, the wizard and peasant lord of the vast ten-acre realm of Habdur, also known as Garrison Benson. Greetings, Placebo Mages. Today, how simple living can improve the quality of your consciousness. But first, thank you to our newest Patreon backers, Pugster, Lana, and Sarah. And thank you to our patrons at the producer level or above, Alconet, Emily, Red Rum Soda Pop, A Sociology of Tarot, Annie, Brianne, Carmen, Carrie, Dev, Fonka, Gune, Lana, Sarah, The Turkey Whisperer, Tony, Valerie, Winter, and Zoe. All right, so today I want to talk about simple living. This is kind of a making good on my plans to kind of expand the scope of the podcast a little bit that I talked about in the 50th episode. Um, you know, when I first started this, I was so narrowly focused on like just the, the concept of using magic as a placebo, open label placebo and um, things like that. And, uh, you know, I actually for a while had the intention of starting a second podcast that was going to be about frugality, simple living, minimalism, that kind of thing. And then I kind of realized like I don't want to be responsible for two podcasts. One is enough. And so I kind of scrapped that plan. But I I also noticed in the meantime that when I talked about this stuff on the Placebo Magic podcast, people tended to respond pretty pretty well. And um, so I, I think my the audience, for the most part, is interested in this stuff. And I think, too... Um, that, you know, it does, the topic of simple living does fit well in a podcast that's about taking things from sort of, you know, religion and occultism and showing you how they can be a relevant part of a, of a, you know, skeptical atheistic lifestyle or, or what, what have you. And so, um, you know, simple living, the history of simple living and the tradition of simple living is very closely interwoven with religion. Um, through, you know, monasticism and, you know, kind of like uh, these sort of prophet, prophetic figures, you know, the idea of having kind of a countercultural lifestyle is is pretty relevant to, to most of the world's religions in particular. They're, they're kind of like founding figures and some of their sort of figures of, of renewal or rejuvenation of the tradition. And I don't think it's by accident. I, I think that the causality goes both ways in that, like, Simple living causes you to kind of be a more, uh, I don't know, spiritually um, enlightened sort of person, but also that it goes the other way around too, that that when you kind of realize what's important and what happiness is and you have a better understanding of your own consciousness, then you tend to move towards simple living. So so what do I mean when I say simple living? Basically, um, it's a very broad term that encompasses a lot of possible lifestyle choices the basic thing is that it's it's a it's a sort of intentionality where you are trying to improve the quality of your life through subtraction, as opposed to sort of the the dominant narrative in the sort of Western capitalist world is that you know addition is the way to improve your life by adding more stuff to it, you know more consumption, more activities, more social connections, more of everything. 
And simple living is more about, you know, subtracting all the things that don't matter that much so that you can focus on the things that do. What that looks like in practice is going to vary quite a bit from person to person. The, the, that subtraction is just the, the core component of simple living. So um, a very common expression of simple living is frugality that, that connects to a lot of the other ones too, as we'll see. But, you know, frugality is a huge part of kind of the world's monastic traditions. There's, there's a term intentional poverty which are, you know, people take a vow of poverty. I personally, while I respect the practice quite a bit, I don't particularly like the term because I think that if you're choosing poverty, then it's an oxymoron. You can't be intentionally impoverished. Poverty is an experience, not just a, a budget. Poverty refers to the experience of being trapped in poverty, like, you know, being, tra being trapped and not having a way out. So if you decided to live on a you know a smaller budget and living a low consumption lifestyle, that's great. But I don't think that we should confuse that with poverty. In any case, there's certainly like a, a, a lot of traditions around the world that incorporated that kind of element of people choosing to live this like lower consumption lifestyle as part of their religion. You know, another lifestyle choice that you might make for simple living is just to to be less busy in terms of you know you know, do fewer activities. You're going to spend more time at home. You're going to be a little bit less connected. And, um, you know, minimalism is another expression that, you know, minimalism can take a lot of different forms. The, the most common would be having just a minimal amount of stuff. And um, it can also be minimalism in the sense that uh, of digital minimalism, like we talked about here on the past, that the idea that I'm going to use the, the fewest amount of possible, like, social media apps and communication apps and I'm going to kind of like slim down my digital world and make it match the aesthetic of like minimalism would be in your, your living space. It's like, I'm going to get rid of a lot of stuff, make this easier to manage, make it less distracting, make it uh, easier to clean, etc. Um, likewise, you can, you can make a decision to kind of just, just restrict your choices arbitrarily. Uh, for instance, you might have like kind of one outfit that you wear virtually every day with just a few a few minor variations for temperature and uh, weather and stuff rather than have to wake up every morning and decide what to wear or spend energy deciding what clothes to buy just kind of always get the same stuff and just get up every day and put on your your kind of iconic look or likewise some people do that with food where it's just kind of you eat the same things pretty much every meal or every you know every every breakfast you eat the same breakfast every lunch you eat the same thing you know you're just kind of cutting a lot of things out of your life that you no longer have to worry about, assuming that these meals you're eating are nutritionally adequate. <laughs> um, likewise, you know, just a lot of people who are into simple living just don't worry about the zeitgeist. You know, just not worried about what movies are out that they're not seeing. They're not worried about what Netflix show everybody's talking about. They're not necessarily following the news on a day-to-day -day level. Um, in, in terms of like the, uh, the the news cycle and like the do what what's dominant on any given day, and um, they might just be keeping an eye on the news on a more sort of slower paced time scale, not worrying about fashion, not worrying about celebrity gossip, etc. And you know, there's a lot of different other ways you can approach simple living. But yeah, again, the, the broad idea is just that you're seeking to improve your life through subtraction. My understanding of simple living has actually been changing a lot over the past few years. I, I've shared before on the podcast, I've been doing this kind of simple living thing very seriously for the last 13 years now. And I've lived in a tiny house for over nine years and I'm exceptionally frugal. I've, I've like 
not to brag, but I'm like the most frugal person I know by far. So this is something that I'm, you know, this is not a theoretical idea for me. This is something that I've been, you know, just doing day in and day out. But my understanding keeps evolving over time. And when I first got interested in simple living, I was initially very interested in like living in a van. And, you know, it was sparked by my not wanting to work. I got my first taste of like a 40 hour work week in a cubicle in front of a screen. And I just kind of noped out of that and immediately started trying to explore the alternatives to that. And it's trying to think about, well, what's the bare minimum amount of money I could live on and go from there. And so I, I was interested in the idea of living in a van. But then um, before I had the chance to do that, I heard about tiny houses and kind of went in that direction instead, got involved with sustainable agriculture and gardening and stuff. And, um, you know, the rest is history. But at first I was, as I was getting interested in these things and finding out, you know, I'd find something that seemed like a really good fit for me, like a, like tiny houses or like, uh, you know, living without a car. And I would kind of have this attitude of like, I don't know, superiority or or like no thinking I know best and would think that everybody else should be living the way that I'm living or everybody else should be living the way that I'm aiming to live. And as I've gone through life, I've kind of softened on that quite a bit where I understand like simple living is not a one size fits all solution, you know? The American dream sort of ideal life that that the that kind of dominant cultural narrative that you see, particularly in advertising, but also just in in the media and in conversation with friends, um, this idea that you you know more is better it tends to be almost like a one size fits all concept. It's like you know you work forty hours a week, making as much money as you can make. You live in the biggest space you can afford, or in the best location you can afford. You drive the best car you can afford, and you have one car per. A, per driving adult in the household. You take the best, fanciest vacations you can afford that people will be most impressed by. You watch all of the, you know, hottest shows that your friends are talking about. You see all the hottest movies your friends are talking about. You go to the hottest restaurants your friends are talking about. You know, obviously it varies in practice, but it's kind of a one-size-fits-all thing that that it doesn't really fit anybody that well. Whereas simple living is is more bespoke. It's it's about identifying what is important to you and then cutting away the things that are not important in order to make room for the thing that's important. So one person's simple living is going to look very different from somebody else's. And so for me, as I've kind of softened up about, about this, I've realized like there are some people who are engaging in simple living whose lives look completely different from mine, but they actually share a lot of the same values as me. They just don't share um, necessarily the same goals as me in terms of what they want out of life. You know, more recently, in the past year or two, I've started to kind of understand that simple living is not just about simplifying the logistics of your life. I mean, that is a huge part of it, simplifying your to-do list and simplifying your finances and stuff and, and making things easier. That's that's huge. But I think that the more powerful component of it, or more, more powerful benefit, is the simplification within your consciousness, that, that simple living enables you to kind of transform your consciousness just by, just by removing a lot of the extra complexity, this kind of gratuitous complexity. In turn, that helps to make mindfulness and just like living in the present and enjoying the present moment so much easier. We know, we know that like living in the present and focusing on what you're doing when you're doing it is one of the very um, most important components of happiness, but it's pretty difficult most of the time because you know, you're working on one thing and you're and in the back of your head, you're wondering if you should be doing something else. This is like a pretty big problem for me a lot of the time where it's one of the biggest things that keeps me from enjoying the moment is is this vague sense of like, well, 
shouldn't I be doing something else right now or, or just worrying about whether I prioritize right? And so simple living is a way of just decluttering your mind by decluttering the, the logistics of your life and, and then making this space where you can just, just be in the moment or where you can think deeply about complicated, complex issues without being distracted by these kind of like logistical worries about your, you know, your life, your finances and your schedule and all of that. And, you know, there's there's two elements to it that, that kind of multiply together to make that that cluttered mindscape. There's the complexity of your life and then there is the stress of your life. And so st- you think of it as like stress times complexity or complexity times stress. Complexity just adds all these little points of distraction in your mind, the, all these little things that are floating around in your head trying to get your attention or things that you're trying to juggle in your head. And then stress makes each one of those things more powerful in terms of being able to hold your to take and hold your attention and keep you unfocused on the present moment. So if you're if you have a few things that are extremely stressful, then it's going to be very hard to enjoy the moment. If you have a lot of things that are a little bit stressful, you know, you have a lot a lot of complexity times a little bit of stress, that's also going to be a problem. So you can decrease either one of those things, decrease the complexity, decrease the stress. So simple living is mainly focused on decreasing the complexity, but a lot of times you get both kind of in the same package. So for instance, if you just cut a lot of things out of your budget, cancel most of your subscription services and um, eat out a lot less often and take vacations closer to home or, or staycations, you know, you cut out the complexities of like driving to a restaurant or or going to the airport and, and parking and flying and getting transportation and your luggage and all that stuff. You, you know, you, you take out, out the complexities, but you also take out a lot of the stressors in the process. And then you, you maybe remove some financial stress as well. So I think this is a big part of why like like Zen monks, for instance, are, are so happy and well-adjusted. It's not just because they spend a lot of time meditating and contemplating consciousness and enlightenment and stuff. It's also just that their lives are so simple and they, you know, they have this very carefully constructed structure around life that, that basically strips away a lot of this, these extraneous thoughts. So, you know, they have a, 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 a sort of a somewhat fixed routine. So you kind of know what you're doing at any time of day and you don't have to worry about what else you ought to be doing. You know, it's kind of all structured to make sure that everything that needs to get done gets done. And that way, when you're doing something, you don't have to be wondering in the back of your mind, Am I supposed to be doing something else right now? Likewise, they've you know drastically simplified their financial situation. There's you know they're just living on very little money, and and um, they're not in relationships. So you know most of us dating and relationships and marriage and things like that can be a huge source of stress, or if not stress, at least a big source of complexity. And they've decided to just 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 forget about that and not worry about it. You know, not not have that be part of their lives. So yeah, you just you just have this all these elements where they've just kind of taken things to the most simple viable existence and I think that's a huge part of the mindfulness. It's not just the meditating time, it's the t- it's all the other time when they're not technically speaking, you know, in meditation but they're living mindfully. It's not just because they have practiced mindfulness, it's because they have made mindfulness easier on themselves. It's not about like, you know, this Herculean overcoming of of life struggle to be mindful. It's just about like, let's make it as easy as possible. And then let's also practice it. And then, you know, let's live in that space. And so, you know, you don't have to be a monk to 
enjoy that, you can, you, you know, any amount of simplification that you do will bring you closer to that where you, where you can just exist in the moment. For me, like the, the thing that really made me kind of realize this in practice was last summer building a pond. And so one of my biggest issues at home in terms of mindfulness is that, you know, I, I have a lot of free time. I'm pretty autonomous and I have been for my whole adult life for the most part. And um, I like to do things myself, you know, in terms of labor. I, I like to build things myself. I like to take care of things myself, cook for myself, etc. And the autonomy is great, but it also kind of can create a lot of ambiguity about like, what am I supposed to be doing right now? So it's like, sometimes when I'm relaxing, I have this vague sense that I ought to be working. Sometimes when I'm working, I have this vague sense that maybe I should be relaxing or maybe I should be working on a different project. So last summer I was building a pond and, you know, the pond took me just dramatically more time and energy than I expected. I, I underestimated it by a massive amount. And so at some point early on in the process, I just had to kind of come to terms with the fact that I, I was not going to get done all of the other things I wanted to get done last year. And I had to really just sit down and, and accept that I'm okay with neglecting all of the other projects on my to-do list for the sake of the pond. You know, I, I still had some other work I needed to do in terms of managing my household and my, my food, you know, and my garden and stuff. I had some maintenance work like that. But as far as projects go, as far as like, you know, building things and improving my home and things like that, I just simplified everything down to I'm only worrying about the pond until the pond is done, pretty much. What that did for me was that it really transformed the labor of building the pond into something that I could enjoy because I just wasn't I wasn't worrying about the other projects while I was doing it. It was just, you know, incredibly hard physical labor and for just hours and hours on end, you know, and day after day. But I, I had this mental clarity that's like, well, I wake up, I know exactly what I'm doing today, and um, I'm going to do it until I'm 80% exhausted, and then I'm going to do it again tomorrow until I'm 80% exhausted, and I'm going to do it again the next day until I'm 80% exhausted. And um, just the clarity of that allowed me to just live in the moment and just like feel the the feeling of the breeze on my skin and the, the sun on my skin listen to the birds watch the the breeze rustling through the trees um and to kind of enjoy the the sort of physicality of of digging dirt and moving dirt around and and having my hands in soil and 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 working with hand tools um it's something that i think if i had been in a different mindset i would have been so bitter and frustrated the whole time and just complaining to myself but because I had just kind of made that simplification and resigned myself to the work, I it allowed me to really enjoy it. And it's just it's kind of a weird it's weird how how good of a memory that made that I spent basically three straight months doing manual labor on one specific project. <laughs> um, you'd think that would suck, but it really didn't. And and so that's got me thinking about all the, this problem, generally speaking. And recently, I, I sort of officially got the pond to version one after. You know, in the fall, I got it to a point where I could put the pond liner in and have it start collecting water. And then this spring and summer, I had to do some other work on it in terms of the landscaping around it and, and putting plants in it and, and everything like that. And so when I got to the version 1.0, it was a great feeling. It's like, okay, this this project has been the top of my to-do list for over a year is now complete. How wonderful. But then it's just funny because I, I immediately lost that clarity, you know, of like, that's the highest priority. I, now it's I'm still kind of finding, trying to re recreate that. You know, I, I just have too many, too many projects now that I'm juggling, 
and uh, and when I'm working on one, I'm worrying about another one. And so, all this to say, I think the simplicity of simple living, it's not just about some kind of asceticism or something like that. It really is a hedonistic pursuit, and it's hedonistic in the sense that you're really focusing on the things that make you happy, and you are eliminating all the things that distract you from that. You know, figuring out what's important to you is one is one huge part of it. But figuring out what's not important to you is arguably a much bigger part of it in terms in terms of simple living. You don't have to know exactly what's important to you in order to live simply. Nobody um, has 100% clarity about that stuff. I mean, everybody has some ambiguity about about what what career they should be pursuing or or whether they should make more time for X versus Y. I mean, that, that's very difficult. But what what simple living is about is is identifying all the things that you're okay with neglecting and okay with not doing and just gradually axing those one by one. So for me, you know, I'm okay with hearing about a TV show that sounds really cool and never watching it, even if all my friends are talking about it, you know? I'm okay with not playing a lot of really amazing uh, video games or not playing them for 10 or 20 years. I'm okay with having only a few friends that are that are close friends and neglecting a lot of other potential friendships. I'm okay with the fact that I'm not going to be able to read all the great books that I could read. You know, I'm okay with the fact that I'm not going to cook like a, a five course meal every night. I, I'm usually have a one course meal. You know, I'm, I'm okay with the fact that I'm not going to get to try all of the craft beers and, and artisanal foodstuffs and restaurants and things like that. You know, I've realized that I'm okay with not doing any more international travel for the rest of my life if I, if I don't get around to it. I've gotten to do, you know, a decent amount of it. And I think it's enough that I, you know, I should feel really grateful that I got to do the travel that I did. And I think that if I, if I didn't anymore for the rest of my life, I would still feel, you know, very fortunate. You know, the things that you decide are not that important are going to be different. And and that's going to mean your lifestyle looks very different from, from mine. My lifestyle is really, really heavily oriented around like minimizing the need for money. And, and in turn, that means minimizing the stress from work, the stress from finances, and the time commitment of, of work. That's the thing that I built my entire my entire simple living thing around is to maximize my free time, minimize the stress that comes from work and stress that comes from from finances. That's a huge simplification to to allow me to enjoy the present moment. But you know, I, I have added some other complexities that most people don't have. I my house is heated exclusively with a wood stove, um, meaning that I, you know, all winter long and winter's like five plus months here in northern Michigan, all winter long, all day, every day, I'm kind of babysitting the temperature and babysitting the wood stove, which is something I've just accepted that that's a decent trade-off. I don't mind it that much. Likewise, I got to carry water into my house in buckets. I've been doing that for not, over nine years now, Had not had indoor plumbing. I don't have a water heater, so you know I, I heat up water on the stove um, for a shower or for dishes and whatnot. And, you know, I, 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 I hardly ever eat out. And so I, I'm always just kind of having to think ahead about meals and whatnot. But that, that all adds logistical complexity to my life. But when you think about that, like complexity times stress equation, it's a lot of complexity, but it's a very small amount of stress for those things. And so it's fine. You know, it doesn't bother me. Whereas I'm um, thinking about like my most recent job, it was a lot of complexity and a lot of stress. So, um, that, you know, that weighed down on me a lot. And so even when I wasn't at work, I was worried about work and I'm thinking in the back of my head, well, like, oh, did I forget something that I 
that I need to go, you know, go in early to do or, you know, stuff like that. And so, yeah, I've, I've, I've kind of traded off like, well, I, I'm going to take a little more complexity living this really ultra frugal lifestyle. It's sem- semi off the grid, but that complexity doesn't stress me out. And so it's, it's fine. I got to do something with my time anyway. It might as well be carrying buckets of water around as long as I'm enjoying the moment and feeling the breeze and stuff. It's, it's not something that bugs me. So yeah, I, I think like through that formulation, all, all things considered, I have quite a bit less stress and more free time than I, than the average person, I think. But, you know, for someone else, um, simple living might look completely different, like particularly someone who's focused on a, on a career that's like really meaningful and stimulating and, and important. Um, I'm thinking like, you know, doctors or, or scientists or, or what have you. You know, if that's something that's really important to you and meaningful, then simple living might look like kind of minimizing your home life and, and simple, simplifying your home life. So maybe you living in a tiny apartment with basically no kitchen and you're living in a city eating out once or twice a day and you're just kind of eliminating all the all the complexities of a household logistics down to the bare minimum on the contrary for someone else it might mean uh simple living might mean co-housing with people who are like-minded and taking turns cooking meals so that maybe like you only have to cook dinner one night a week and then the other six nights you get to eat food that somebody else cooked um and you have a, a, a chore schedule so that you know exactly what chores you're responsible for and you and you know that's a simplification also, it could mean living out in the country, growing as much of your own food as possible. It could mean buying bulk staples and subscribing to a CSA. You know, there's just any number of different possibilities. And I would hate for someone to judge themselves for the things that they um, prioritize and say, I'm not minimalist enough because I have all this, you know, stuff associated with my hobbies. When maybe that's just the thing that you're making space for, you know, you're making, you're simplifying the rest of your life in order to make more space for your hobbies or, or what have you. So yeah, I, I, I think simple living can take so many different forms. And I think what really you want to focus on is not about like kind of policing yourself I'm, as being good or bad. Like I'm, I'm spending too much or too little money, or I'm, I'm, I've got too much stuff or too little stuff, or I've, you know, I'm doing, I'm too busy or, t- or not busy enough. Like, you know, because there's not a there's not a one size fits all standard for that kind of thing. It's more about being intentional, and particularly about about looking for opportunities to subtract things from your life in a way that will make your life simpler and less stressful. So less less complexity, less stress. So um, that then your your consciousness is transformed, and you're able to exist in the present moment with with fewer things nagging at the back of your head distracting you from just enjoying your food, enjoying the company of your loved ones, enjoying, you know, nature, etc. Now it's time for secret spells and riddlesome rituals. Today, transferring the essence of an object with sentimental value into a smaller object. Okay, so it's been a while since I did a secret spells and riddlesome rituals segment, but because we're we're kind of expanding the the scope of the podcast a little bit, I wanted to kind of like I don't know reassure the longtime listeners that we're not going to completely abandon the 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 topic of placebo magic and and you know spells and rituals and stuff. So this ritual is particularly relevant to the topic of simple living, and it, it's a ritual I, I would call essence transfer. So um, I, t- I took this name from Star Wars in the old expanded universe that is no longer considered canon. 
there was this force power that Emperor Palpatine slash Darth Sidious had that allowed him to survive and return in some, you know, comic or novel or something in the distant future from like after Return of the Jedi, where he he used this essence transfer power to transfer like his soul or spirit or whatever into a different body. So I, I got the name from that. But the, the idea for this ritual is that let's say you have some kind of object that you are hanging on to for, for purely sentimental reasons, and you feel like it's not very practical to keep it, but you can't bear to get rid of it because the object sparks, you know, memories for you. So this essence transfer ritual, the idea is that you want to transfer the, the sort of soul of this sentimentally loved object into something, you know, either smaller or into a digital format or into a journal entry or something that will take less space and be less complicated logistically for you and be more pragmatic. And so the specifics is really going to depend on what you want and what the what object you're starting with and then just yeah, the details of what it is and what it is about it that sparks a memory. So for instance, you know, if you have a, a, lo- a loved t-shirt that is sparks a nice memory but you never wear it, then maybe it's enough just to take a photo of it and get rid of the shirt. Or maybe you want to um, keep, you know, a small piece of your childhood blanket, like a, a few few inch square and, and get rid of most of the blanket. And then you kind of have a little piece of it that you can still, like, I, I know my, my blankie from when I was a kid has a certain s- texture and scent to it, but I don't necessarily need the entire blankie. I could just get that from a tiny piece of it. And it would take a lot less space. So that you know, basically, what you want to do here, though, is have the original object and then the new receptacle, like the new body that it's going to inhabit, and then conduct some kind of ritual of your own. You know, do do whatever, whatever feels right to you. But the general idea is that you want to sort of visualize the sort of soul of the initial object transferring over and inhabiting this new receptacle. And so, in a lot of cases. Um, you're going to have, you know, on your altar or what have you in your ritual space, the original object and then like a laptop or a phone that that has a photograph loaded up of the like a photograph that you took of the object. Or um, sometimes it might be a journal or something where you have a memory that's associated with an object and you want to remember that memory and the, and the object is serving as a trigger for it. So instead of keeping the object, you could like journal jot down as you know as many memories that object triggers and in particular you would want to kind of jot down any kind of sense impressions that the object has in itself so you might describe in your journal the texture the smell the the way the light reflects off of it or whatever whatever triggers the memories for you so that you can feel more comfortable getting rid of it because the thing is um you know when we hold on to objects that that spark memories for us it's actually not that irrational um, it's in, it's inconvenient and impractical, but our memories are associative. And so it, it's legitimately a thing that an object can make it easier to remember. Um, that's not a, that's not made up, um, particularly when it has a sensory component, like a, a smell or a texture or sound that's legitimately, there are some memories that will be more difficult to access if you get rid of a thing. It's, I don't want to like pretend that's not the case. So if you do have you know, sensory components to it, then it may be maybe pretty useful to describe those in a journal or to capture as many of them as you can in this new form. So, you know, once you've had this have this new form, 
I'm going to conduct this ritual, visualize the essence transferring over. And then not only that, but afterward, you want to kind of visualize the emptiness of the the, the original object that the, it now has no soul and no essence. It's just a thing. It's just it's just inert matter, not not the sentimentally infused object. So now all of that sentimental importance and, and feeling and kind of capital M meaningfulness has is moved over into the smaller, more portable, more convenient form factor. You can find the Placebo Magic Podcast and my poetry on the web at garrisonbenson.com. Leave a voicemail for the show by calling 989-318-4118. Music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. You can support the show by giving us a review on your podcast app of choice, sharing an episode with a friend, or becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash placebo magic. Patreon supporters also gain access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus show. Remember, magic is a metaphor, and metaphor is magical. <laughs>